This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Jamie Drake has been one of New York's most prominent decorators for decades, known for merging modernism with all-out looks, sensual materials, and bold colors, purples, teals, salmons, orange, and more. He definitely banished the beige. His beautifully detailed, clean-lined, and cosseting style won him a spot in the AD100 Hall of Fame, and he became a favorite of business titans around the globe, none more so than Michael Bloomberg, perhaps his most famous client. And when he became mayor of New York City, Bloomberg enlisted Jamie to decorate Gracie Mansion and even the chapels at the city's marriage bureau, which I can attest is one of the most joyous spaces in the city. But that kind of public service is typical of Jamie, who is one of the most beloved people in the design industry and whose efforts on behalf of a wide variety of worthy causes, including the Kipps Bay Show Houses, the Alpha Workshops, and the New York Community Trust, is legendary. And then, in 2015, Jamie announced that he was forming a partnership with Caleb Anderson, who had started out as an intern in his office before going on to form his own successful design firm. In the seven years since joining together, Drake Anderson has gone from strength to strength, delighting clients both old and new. The success of their collaboration is documented in their new book, Bold. I'm so pleased that they're both here today to talk about their partnership, the merger of their aesthetics, how they conceive of luxury today, and what they see ahead. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you, Michael. Thrilled to be here. And hello, Caleb. Hi, Michael. Thank you. Good to be here. I'm so glad you guys are here on this great occasion. Your book is really beautiful. I've been spending the last couple of days reading through it, seeing all of the incredible number of projects you've done since Caleb joined, because the book only covers since the partnership began. But Jamie, I want to start with you and ask you about the partnership. Is that something that you had been thinking about for a while? Is it something you, you were planning on? And, or was it sort of serendipity that suddenly you ran into Caleb and thought, duh? So how did it work? Well, neither, actually. I wouldn't say that it, it was a long-term thought process, but I had given it some thought for about a year about how I might see the future moving forward after being in business for 30, I guess that was 37 years at that point, and how I might conceive of going forward working in a way that would be more pleasurable and enjoyable and richer for me and for our staff and for our clients. And when I thought about it, I thought about partnership, and I developed a short list of possible candidates, and I narrowed that down to a couple of candidates. But to be perfectly honest, there was only one really valid candidate on the list, and that was Caleb. Okay. And why did Caleb fit the bill so well? First of all, I knew him so well already. I had known him for, as you said, he did a college internship with me after he graduated. He came to work for me for a few years. I had watched him develop his own firm, and he had the success, and he had all the assets that are needed. Because to be um, a leader of a firm, it isn't just about having great vision and great ideas, because we all know way too many people who do have talent, style, but maybe don't have the assets of how to run a business, how to deal with people, how to do marketing successfully. And I had seen Caleb had really done all of that in his own business in a short period of time. Yes. And I can also attest 
management is a bitch. Yes. It takes a lot of time and a lot of skill. And it is different from being creative. There's a lot of creative people, but they're not necessarily can't translate that into business. Right. And management isn't just managing in the office. It's managing no. the clients. Your clients. <laughs> so you have all kinds of management, vendors, artisans, craftsmen. I know that's a lot of people that you guys deal with. So, Caleb, I'd love to know from you, when Jamie approached you, how did you feel? I mean, were you intimidated? God knows I would have been hugely intimidated. <laughs> no, I, I think I was surprised more than anything, the way that Jamie sort of framed the conversation. It sounded like we were going out to a casual lunch, which it was. <laughs> uh, he just kind of dropped that, that in there. You know, it was one of those situations where it doesn't seem real in the moment and you kind of step away from it and like for a day is just kind of processing, did that really just happen? So, you know, it did completely catch me off guard and honestly was not anything that I had ever considered would be a possibility. But, you know, at the time I was a few years into my own business and working very hard, clearly with a much smaller team than Jamie, it was really appealing to have this opportunity and to have a partnership with someone who's such an icon and to have more infrastructure, access to a different level of project and clientele. So it was, you know, it's very exciting opportunity, clearly. Yeah. And how did it work structurally wise? Did you have to like close your business down? Were you able to move some of the people you were working with in your own firm into Drake Anderson or how'd that work? Because that must have been a difficult process. It was a long process. I wouldn't say it was a difficult process. Mm -hmm. So in theory, this was a quote unquote merger of our businesses. We formed Drake Anderson as a new business together. At the time, I did bring one of my employees who's still with us today, Sydney. Hello, Sydney, if you are listening. Yes, hi, Sydney. <laughs> Hello, Sydney. Yeah, and it's been wonderful. My experience with Sydney actually was as her and as an intern. And as my business grew, I hired her part-time, full-time. And then she's been here with us ever since and does an outstanding job. And actually, interestingly enough, manages our internship program. Yes. Fantastic, because you got to keep the talent coming. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, Jamie, I'd love to get a sense from you, two levels. How do you think the merged partnership, Drake Anderson, has changed on a day-to-day -day basis from your previous solo business in terms of day-to-day -day work? But also, how do you think the work of the firm has evolved? Well, to the first question, um, I think it's primarily changed from what I had done before solo in the process. Caleb is a very detailed and exquisite process-oriented person, much more so than I. He knows how to think about the whole time frame of a project from the moment a contract is signed to putting the accessories in the space and develops timelines and schedules as a blueprint for us to work from and for the clients to have comfort, for the staff to aim at. And that's not something that I ever had a strength at. So that's one strength. We also, a recent wonderful addition to our firm is a part-time healthy materials librarian who will help us bring our work to the next level of intelligence for the world at large as far as climate change and global sustainability, um, and to let us inform our clients about options in that direction. Caleb has a great passion for sustainability and health and wellness. So there's been many, many positive changes in, in that respect. To your second question, I think 
our aesthetics have always been rather in sync. Right. I think that that's probably for both of us something that we wouldn't have considered a partnership and a merger if one of us was doing Sky Rocket Age Jetsons Modern and the other was doing... Pierre Cardin, whatever, right. yeah. Right, that wouldn't work. Little uh, country French from Pierre de. Right, not your look, Jamie. Right, so our look is is just gotten, I think, richer and more evolved, and the design aspects of our partnership are pretty seamless. Yeah, and I would say looking through the book, which is so beautiful... I would agree. There seems to be, and this is just a gut feeling of mine, there's almost like more variety of materials, stones and fabrics. It's almost in a way richer. And Caleb, it seems to me, my guess is that you brought some of that. Would you say that's true? I mean, first of all, I think as a firm, we continue to evolve and are constantly looking for new and interesting materials and ideas and concepts. But yeah, I mean, we we love materially complex designs, you know, beyond the, the rooms themselves, the interiors themselves, even a piece we design, you know, it often has multiple materials and, you know, lots of details. And so we enjoy using beautiful materials and, and coming up with interesting ideas for our clients. But I was also happy to see in the book, Jamie, that your color palette is just as rich and varied as it ever was. So clearly you weren't going to give that up. Right. I think we paced the book in a way with the presentation of projects that there are ones that are more muted, interspersed with the ones that are more saturated. And that's really about us paying attention to what our clients want, because not every client wants the same level of saturation. But I think it would be hard to live in a world without color. I would find that very hard to get enthusiastic about. I think color is definitely one of the tools or things that we use in design to be bold, uh, not to be redundant or cliche with the book. But one thing that I think we've found other ways to be bold, a lot of our boldness in my opinion, now comes through forms and shapes and gestures of furniture and architectural details. So even when we're not using strong color or a lot of color, that bold uh, is still there through other design elements. You know, I think when, when doing a design, it's, it is an art form. It's a business as well, but it's an art form. And I think of it often as our finished work, our presentations as painting a picture. And it's about the different brush strokes and the way they go together. And as Caleb said, they could be gesture, but they could also be pigment. And those are the tools in our toolbox. And I notice in the book, and I think this is always true, but I think it's probably even more so, the use of like sculptural furniture, curved sofas, curved chairs, a lot of very contemporary sculptural pieces, freeform kind of lighting, pieces by the Hotz brothers, organic kind of things, and a lot of shine, a lot of gleaming gold and brass. And I think that mixing that all together is, as you were saying, Jamie, is an art form because it could so easily go over the top. Is that something that you guys worry about? Or is it just innate to you, Caleb, that you can balance the, the richness out so it's never too much? You don't want to be eating a bowl of whipped cream, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I think the key thing is being intentional. Everything that we do is intentional. The choices that we make, we're not just 
throwing a bunch of mixed metals in there because. And it's also just, you know, whenever we're developing a design, it's studied. We are creating palettes and boards and pinning things up and we get a sense of the balance and the use of those materials and those colors so that, you know, it feels strong, but it works. It's not too much. And we do know when we need to pull back. We know when we need to push harder, but we also know when we need to pull back. And I think that's part of being a good designer is having the ability to know when enough is enough or when you need a little bit more. It's like how important empty space is sometimes. The part of a room that doesn't have something in it or a singular thing stands out in relief and outline because it's nice to have the eye be titillated and tantalized, but the eye also then needs a moment of rest to enjoy everything. And speaking of that, one of the things that's come up on previous podcasts, and I'd love to know what you guys think about this, Instagram has been such a huge influence on the design world. But the thing about Instagram is it tends to feature those dramatic moments, those objects that are stand out, and not the quiet moments, which I agree are totally essential to the success of any house, interior, or even a room. So do you find that your clients understand that? I mean, you obviously have very sophisticated clients, but is that an issue for you now that it, you know you don't want the whole world to be Instagram shots? I think what a lot of it is about is, is trusting clients, clients who hired us and then do trust us. And certainly the work in the book is all from clients who trust us and have given us great confidence to create for them and to, to use our aesthetic prowess. Yeah, and sometimes it, it is a little bit of a educational process with clients because often they will, for reviewing a design, they will hone in on a particular piece or a particular finish and just explaining to them that, well, you know, this was selected because of this piece here and it connects with this piece here. And so, you know, with clients, sometimes we have to remind them not to view something in isolation. Yeah, because I think a lot of people focus on the object as opposed to the effect. Right. And that's always hard. And I understand it. It's like whenever you get a new piece of furniture in your home, it seems the first few days, it's like, oh, my God, it's huge. And then your eye becomes accustomed. So I can understand that that would, would be an issue. And that sometimes is where we have to insert ourselves also to remind a client. We can have a pinup and they go, I don't like that one fabric, but it's the biggest sample on the wall. But it's actually for throw pillows. So it's the smallest right, right. piece in the room. And it, we have to talk about it's a comma or a period or a punctuation point, an exclamation point. And finding the, the words and the explanation is important often to get our vision to completion than just seeing it in our mind's eye. You, are, you have to be a little bit of a therapist and understand where people's fears are. And like you said, that fabric's not going to cover the sofa. It's like... You have to reassure. Now, Caleb, I wanted to ask you, when you started working with Jamie, when you formed the partnership, I would imagine that, that the level of client that Jamie already had was maybe bigger budgets than you were used to or, or generally over. So was that intimidating for you or was that just like, oh my God, let me plunge in. I can't wait. It was definitely not intimidating. Oh, um, good. You know, it's, it's, well, I would have been intimidated. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing about nice budgets are there are clearly few fewer limitations. You have more flexibility. You know, I love to design furniture and come up with interesting custom concepts. And so to have a little bit more freedom and not just be sourcing kind of 
already made or kind of limited to that range of materials or furniture was definitely, definitely enjoyable for me. But, you know, I, I also don't mind a, every now and then a low budget challenge. The family member calls. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think you can achieve good design on a variety of budgets. And we do. I mean, within our firm, we have projects that have smaller budgets than others, but we give them the same level of attention and creative energy and Right. And good design is good design, but right. whatever level it's executed at. Right. But if you, why don't you ask me, but what are your best clients? Go ahead, Michael. Okay, ask, Jamie. What are your best clients? Those with huge budgets who give faith, trust, and don't get involved. <laughs> I think that is every designer's dream. <laughs> every designer's dream. I, and I think you probably achieve that dream. Greg Anderson probably achieves that dream more often than most firms. Because, you know. Well, every client is involved, and they should be. Every client but, is, uh, of course. But it's those who course. let Nobody's going to give you carte blanche. Right. But, and, and this is one of the advantages, and I would think, Caleb, you would agree with this, is that because you have a reputation, Jamie, and are known for the quality of your work and the style of your work, which is, you know, it's flexible. And you in the book, you have all kinds of different country houses, city tower apartments. You know, it's flexible, but it has a particular look that people come to you for and a level of quality. And I, to me, that would be an advantage in terms of getting new clients or obviously you have a lot of repeat clients. They obviously know what they are coming to you for. But I guess it's like in terms of the new, when you formed the new partnership, was there some wariness on the part of your clients or did they trust you on that aspect too? I don't think there was wariness. I think I wouldn't call it wariness. I think there was curiosity. I think mm -hmm. on both sides. And Caleb did have high net worth individuals as clients as well. Oh, I, I don't mean to minimize that. No, I totally understand. I, I can actually tell you an interesting story. A current client, and I'm sure she won't mind me telling you this, when I was first starting out, I've always been an entrepreneur. When I was first starting out with my business and trying to find work, I would literally respond to Craigslist ads for people looking for a designer. And this one particular time I did, I ended up working for the family and they're a client to this day with a significant budget. Wow. I, I don't know why at the time she was looking for a designer through Craigslist, but she's working with us to this day and we've maintained that relationship. So you never know. You never know. This was many years ago, by the way. Right, I'm sure. <laughs> but you know, she stayed with yeah. you all these years. That's a real compliment. If Caleb and was old, older, he might have been looking in the back of the village voice. <laughs> I remember that. The, the, Jamie, I, you don't even know what that reference probably is, Caleb, but those were those were mixed up ads. <laughs> pages and pages uh, and pages yeah. of them. Pages of them. It's true. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. I want to get back to what you were mentioning, Jamie, about, about sustainability and quality and, and a topic that is increasingly important and comes up all the time, wellness. And Caleb, I think it's so interesting that you and your partner, DeAndre Devane, have formed this new company. And I'd love for you to talk a little about that. Yeah. So, I mean, just to give you a bit of background, I'll be very 
straightforward. A few years ago, I was really stressed out, very stressed out. And I'm the type of person who internalizes my stress. And over time, it just kind of started to manifest in not great ways. I wasn't sleeping well. I was having panic attacks. And so I kind of set out on this wellness path, wellness journey that's been very transformational for me. And, you know, as I'm kind of going through these experiences with my partner, DeAndre, I'm hearing a common conversation, common dialogue among other people in our industry about how stressed out, how anxious they are, how, you know, it's harder and harder to find the joy in the profession. And so it made me and us want to come up with an organization or a concept where we could share some of these wellness experiences with the design and architecture community. So we launched this organization this fall, just a few weeks ago, but essentially for designers and architects, we're putting on events and workshops and retreats all centered around wellness practices. And it's kind of effectively another alternative to the typical networking event in our industry, like the cocktail parties. But the interesting thing that's come out of this, well-designed, this organization is very much about the human component, the human aspect and experience, but conversations around design are obviously becoming part of of what we're doing, really initially driven by the partners that we were attracting who have similar values or vision relating to wellness and those types of things. And I've always had an interest, a passion or a heart for things like sustainability and social equity and design. But this past summer, I took a a continuing education course through Parsons, which I would recommend for anyone in our industry to take. And it really just kind of shed a huge light and really informed just another level about these issues and what's possible. So that's kind of why within our firm, we've brought in this healthy materials consultant and are really, you know, I'm very interested to know how, you know, we can take our brand and our materiality, our aesthetic and marry it with these concepts and still produce design that is fine, that is beautiful, that is artistic. Because I think commercial firms, hospitality firms, to some extent, they're kind of in this space. There's not a lot in the high-end residential market that are that are stepping into this space. So I think it's a important and I think it's an interesting direction. And, and very smart. I think we often lose sight of the fact that design is supposed to make people's lives better more beautiful, but also better, functioning better, making them more healthy, making them be able to sleep at night, as you were saying, Caleb, you know. And traditionally, design did that. There's no better exemplar of that than you, Jamie, of working with Kip Spay and different charities and Alpha, the wonderful work you do for Alpha Workshops, where you train artisans, people who otherwise might not be able to have jobs, all of that. But I do think that there's a sense now that design is part of a larger world and, you know, buildings and renovations are so bad for the environment in terms of landfill. I mean, we did an episode about sustainability. We're planning to do more because it's so, so important. But I think it's so interesting that health starts at the head and goes outward. And so I think that's so interesting that and that you starting this and I'm I would guess that you had a huge response, Caleb. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, that when I initially conceived of this idea, I didn't necessarily have an intention or a vision for it to be at the scale that it's at now. But I think that it just shows the resonance and the opening that our community has um, and the need. And, you know, I certainly think that in design, yes, people are designing wellness spaces and trying to be more conscientious around sustainability. But 
for the designer themselves to be operating and functioning from a place of wellness, I think that it just opens up a lot more awareness and people are much more in tune to to these important needs that we have. And I also think that there's a lot of opportunity for our industry. I really think that the next creative renaissance that we have really can be one with more purpose. And and really through these conversations, we can see a lot of innovation and creativity come about that is sort of working towards a higher purpose with these issues. And I suspect, Jamie, that one reason that you, well, you said it, one reason that you even wanted to form a partnership with Caleb was because you wanted to have more time to do what you love to do and less time doing other things. So that's your mental health as well. So I guess this whole thing comes out of that impulse. Well, I think we all want to do mostly what we love and, <laughs> um, and, and maybe minimize the things we don't love. But I do think it's just fascinating. I, I, don't, I famously do not like stagnation. I embrace change. So to have growth and learning processes about new solutions and healthier living solutions. I think about the last 10 years or so where where clients might have been on the radar with their construction aspects about geothermal systems and mm. solar systems and, and with the construction aspects, but very few really think about what we put in the house. And now I think the that- The paint, the fabrics, all that, right. The fillers in the sofas, the backing mm. on the floor coverings, mm the wood you species select and how it's harvested. So there's so many opportunities there to create things that are just as beautiful and just as Luke's, but that are also really healthy and really healthy for our world. And part of the intention of doing this too, Michael, is that through us embracing this, we're also able to not only educate and hopefully bring clients on board, but also elevate our partners. So if we work with a, an upholstery workroom, we can now dissect this sofa and say, can you make it like this? Can you use this fill instead? Have you considered this? And so it, it helps them in their business in, in this direction as well. Right. You know, everything from the granular, like you were saying, this small upholstery thing, all the way up to national or international brands. I think that when you guys start asking questions and making changes, and then your clients pick up on that and start demanding more. It's going to be a slow, but I think, well, maybe not so slow, but I think it's going to be a, a change. And I think it's already started. And I guess we just have to keep forcing it ahead because it's not going away as we, as we just saw with Hurricane Ian. Climate change is real and it's not going to go away. And how do we rebuild? How do we build? How do we rebuild? All of those are going to be a big. And isn't that always been part of the role of a designer? Think back this point where we're at now, is this just, is this a growth variant on the Bauhaus and on Corbusier and the Eameses and who were always looking for new solutions and better ways to, to live, work, and the, the built environment? Caleb's the one who introduced me to the wonderful course he took at Parsons, but I'm so thrilled because I'm a Parsons graduate and I sit on the board of Parsons. And our department now of what I, the equivalent of what I graduated from is now called the School of Constructed Environments. So it has a broad focus on wonderful solutions for a future healthy planet. It really is exciting when you start to discover 
all that's in the makings and all of the possibilities and the different materials and the biomanufactured materials and the mycelium materials. And, you know, it's not that it's this kind of granola boring. Oh, it's not macrame. No, it's really unbelievable. We actually had someone come in today from a, a company I've, we've never worked with called Nature Squared, and they had the most exquisite materials and they were all made from leftover things or, and I mean, they were as gorgeous as any mica or, you know, it was, it was fascinating just to kind of see what people are coming up with and to then think of ideas of how we can use them in, in our projects. Well, it's interesting. It's, you know, you see it now in the, a lot of the fashion houses and Hermes, they're using leftover materials, recirculating materials. It's definitely influencing the culture. It's going to trickle up or down. I don't know, but it's trickling. And I think people are going to become more and more aware of it. But at the same time, people come to you guys because they want pretty and it has right. to be great design. And it's our responsibility to show them that, that they can have pretty or prettier and these additional considerations. I think the biggest challenge that we have that our industry will have is shifting the priorities because right now everything is driven by budget and by schedule and time. Where is health coming into play or where is sustainability coming to play? The priorities need to shift a bit. And I think actually this client I was just talking about earlier that I met on Craigslist, when she was in here and we were looking at fabrics, I started talking to her about all of this and she made some changes. She was mm -hmm. moved enough by what I said to make some changes of the materials. So they are listening and I think that they do respect us as experts. And I think if we put it out there, it will slowly shift and, and become more of the conversation. And, you know, one of the claims of Cherish, which is actually very true, is, you know, vintage is sustainable. Using Absolutely. And, and you guys use a lot of vintage in your work. I mean, a lot of it is new and upholstery and stuff like that. But uh, it's interesting. So how do you see that going ahead? Do you see that you're going to make an effort to continue to use vintage? And is that a part of the, something that your clients understand and appreciate? I think it's something that we love for a variety of reasons. And one is, yes, it's it's sustainable. It's upcycling, but also it's unique. So to be able to use the antique or the vintage, something that nobody else really has, really gives a soul to a room and a space and is provocative, intellectually provocative, as well as visually provocative. And I want to get a sense from you, because I know our listeners always are fascinated by this, they want to know where you get your inspiration from, which I know is a, an impossible question to answer. But are there things that you guys are looking at now, artists or periods, design that you're looking at, fabrics, fashion designers? What are you finding exciting at the moment and intriguing and making you think in a different way? Like, Caleb, why don't we start with you? So this is going to sound really interesting, but I have become really fascinated and inspired by these sort of ethereal, surrealist, not real interiors, kind of fantasy interiors. I see them on Instagram or Pinterest or even in books, but it just feels so, I don't know, artistic and futuristic. And I've kind of been pulling a lot from that recently. And they're not real things, you know, they're, they're completely computer generated and probably in reality, most of what they have in the image could never actually be exist, made right, or right. exist. But it's certainly interesting to kind of find that dreamy world as a point of inspiration. 
I don't know. It's it's appealing to me right now. I bet if we work hard enough, we can make it exist. Look at I bet people saw Zaha Hadid's early things, and they said, "Right, well, those well, can't that exist. could never happen. Right, that, that'll never happen. Right, yeah, that's true. That's true. It's one of those things that just looks otherworldly. Yeah, I like things that look otherworldly right now. Well, that's interesting because you know, looking through the book. Believe me, those apartments are not otherworldly in that way, but there are something dreamy and cosseting. I I use that word because I think there's something true about that. It's like you want to be enveloped in the rooms that you guys create. And I think that that's, you know, you want to push that, obviously, Caleb, and change. But I think you've already got an element of that, I would say. What a lovely compliment. And I love the. I don't know that we've used the word dreamy often to describe our work, if ever, but I love that. Dreamy. I love dreamy. Yeah. And what about you, Jamie? Where are you looking for inspiration these days? I I find inspiration just everywhere. I go to so many art fairs. And a few weeks ago, I spent a week in Morocco. But just last week, I had a very- Oh, that's inspiring. Very inspiring. But last week, I went to the New York City Ballet's Fall Fashion Gala. And there were four pieces they performed. And two of them were especially inspirational to me because this is the fashion gala. The costumes were designed by fashion designers. And whether it was a a designer I never heard of before, a Spanish designer named Palomo, and the last piece was costumes were designed by Rafe Simmons. And the Palomo piece, the colors, and they were pinstriped in Swarovski crystals and from a distance, and the palettes were beautiful in the way they moved around. The Simmons things were darker and and more kind of patinaed and layered and a little harder to see, but both so inspiring, so inspiring. And that's about movement and light and the effects that it has on color and materials as well. And I'm going to ask you each a professional, but also an aspirational question. I want to know what, as you guys move ahead, what you would hope to do more of and less of in the practice. So Caleb, why don't we start with you? I mean, definitely am excited about this healthier materials, sustainability, and and finding ways to, again, take our brand and our aesthetic and marry it with these considerations. So, you know, I would love to do more projects like that and, you know, for us to develop a reputation for doing that. You know, I think Jamie and I've always wanted to do a hotel. So if there's any hotel developers out there, give us a call. You guys have never done a hotel? That's kind of shocking to me. Yeah. Okay, well, hopefully somebody will hear that, you know? But yeah, I mean, I think it's really just kind of stepping into this this space of- We haven't done an entire hotel. We did do one suite at the Park Hyatt on 57th Mm -hmm. Street. We'd like to do- Yes, sort of done a hotel. You want to do the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? The rooms, the spas, the restaurants, the yeah, exactly. The bars. You want the you want the Drake Anderson experience, right? A wellness hotel. We want to do a wellness hotel. I'll put that out there. Okay, good. And what would you like to do less of? Well, that's that's tricky. Um, <laughs> that sure is tricky. You don't have to name names. <laughs> I guess I would like to do less projects where we are constantly creatively questioned and challenged. And it kind of becomes this point where it's like, okay, do I just let this go? And knowing that it's the wrong decision, that's always hard for me. We always want our clients to be happy, but sometimes it's just push, 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 and you're so tired and you're just like, okay. Um, You know, those are always challenging projects. So I would say fewer projects in the future where we're faced with those kinds of 
challenges would be ideal. But I, I do think that that's just part of the nature of our business. And really, part of that is our initial discernment in the projects that we take on, which I think is we have more experience together, that becomes easier to do. I mean, sometimes pushback can be creative. It can force you to be, become more creative, but then it's, when, when it's, it's negative. When, when it's intelligent and when it's presented right. with clear wording on what, what it is that doesn't work or that they feel would work, that that is. But sometimes the pushback can be exhausting when it's never-ending. And like there are times when I think Caleb and I have sat, been in a, a meeting and said, well, some of the people in the room have, are on the AG100, on the Eldercore A-list, have been there for years, have won numerous awards and accolades, and combined we have 55, 57 years of experience. Who else in this room has that? And why is it such a struggle to accept what we are suggesting as our best design input from a whole variety of reasons. You know, the best aesthetic, the best for function, the best for use, the best for budget reasons. It's, they're not arbitrary decisions. We're not just suggesting these things to be cantankerous. I think it's important to take on projects, not, not just because they have a good budget, but also because they inspire you. Because if they don't inspire you, they're challenging to work on. And our projects we work on for a long time. I mean, sometimes two years. So that's a long commitment if you aren't inspired. And Jamie, what about you? What do you want to do more of and less of? Well, uh, absolutely hospitality, hotels. I'd love to do a, a nightclub. I don't know that there's many mm -hmm. nightclubs Ooh, left out yeah. there. but I, I would love that. Yes, I would love a Drake okay. Anderson nightclub. Exactly. exactly. We'll, call it, we'll call it Boudreaux's Bar. And, um, <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I would agree that it, with Caleb that really what I would like to do less of is, is work on projects that have challenges that shouldn't be there that are brought unnecessarily you shouldn't have to, to the fight. table. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I would think with the renown and fame of your firm, that you would have less of that. And I actually, I think some of our listeners are going to be very encouraged to hear that they're not alone. I mean, in a way, it's depressing because no matter how successful you get, you're still going to have to fight some of these battles. I think one of the things... Right. With, that we pride ourselves on is being totally open and transparent, especially in industry groups. And we often hear that people are so surprised that we don't at this point avoid all of that. And it's like, well, no, it's still there. <laughs> you know, get ready. Buckle up. It, I guess. I guess it's human nature. But I really don't understand anyone who would hire you and then question you because the work that you do is so outstanding and is so special you have to come to you guys to get it because no one else has that specific sensibility and specific aesthetic. And I think the way you two merge together, I, I was so impressed reading through the book. And I, I really just have to tell you, I, you know, I, I, I said it, you've gone from strength to strength and your work just keeps getting better and more engaging and dreamier. And, um, you know, I just want to Thank you both so much for being here on the Cherish Podcast and congratulations on your new book. I'm, everyone in the design world should go out and get this book bold. It's really impressive. And thank you both for being here. You've been listening to the Cherish Podcast brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. 
and we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time.